Welcome to this week's episode of House of Blurts Podcast. We are your hosts. This is Nicole, and I am joined by Dexter. He's there. Sorry, I was on mute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's around. He's alive. And Armani. What's up, guys? And this week, we are back again with another Paint Sundays Black episode six. And we are going to jump into some of um, our favorite shows that we've been watching. So first up, we are going to start off with Fargo, episode four, The Pretend War. Episode opens up. We see Zelmer and Sonny post-robbery. Sonny is getting sick still. She's vomiting. This literally picks up right after them leaving the distillery or the warehouse where they robbed Lloyd and his people. So she's still throwing up. She's still puking. Zamir gets her in there. She gets her, like, in the bed, and she's, like, trying to clean the money. I want to note how, like, the opening of this episode, which I believe has happened in other episodes of this season as well, the transitional blocking. So, like, when it comes in and does a split screen with the two of them, and then it does a split screen with, with Chris Rock and with Loy and Josto's characters on different sides, and you've got action in the middle. Mm-hmm. I really like this style of... The aesthetic of it. I like the aesthetic of it, yes. I'm I am liking it, I'm feeling it because I feel like it gives us a lot in a very small like quick, amount of time. Yeah. So we get to, to see quite a quite a bit going on there. But it again, it showed I, I enjoyed that. It opens up with Ethel Rita in her room, she's doing something, and then like she hears a noise, she opens up her door and she sees what looks to be this like ghost mommy figure and she gets scared. Okay, and she slams the door and goes back in the room. As a smart young black girl would, because we're not going to go investigate that. <laughs> we're just going to go back in our room and act like that shit did not happen. I like that part. <laughs> yeah, that I, was interesting. I wonder, I, I would imagine living over a mortuary that this couldn't be the first time that she's had an encounter like this. Or she's seen something creepy or had a nightmare because really there are dead people in your basement. Yeah, or something you expect. Like, yeah. That's probably even, that, you know what, that's probably even more the reason for her calmness. Because she's like, oh no, not this shit again. Josto's right-hand man who decided to go and do the hit, what was supposed to be Josto's man, who was down taking orders from Gatano. him and one of his guys are in a truck heading somewhere. And as they're driving, all of a sudden flames start appearing on the road. Flames encircle this truck, and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And then boys, boys pop up through the flames, which I kind of understand because it's like they could walk through the flames, but they couldn't just drive that truck through the flames. Like, I would have just hit the gas and kept going. Yep. <laughs> so, but anyway, it's not. If I go fast enough, I'll be all right. Exactly. Just don't slow down in the flames. The tires will be fine. They so, had stuff. They were bringing things. I was thinking that, too. Then they have, like, oranges or some shit in the, in the car. What we They had fruit in the back, but we find out what's really back there is guns. Oh. Oh, so it would have went off, basically, hot enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, I go fast enough. Go fast enough, but ain't getting hot enough. <laughs> hey. Lloyd's <so>, um, <laughs> guy... Pulls the first dude out the car. Oh, actually, they, they, you know, get up to the truck. The first guy decides, you know, this ring of fire is not intimidating enough. I think I can get out and probably fuck somebody up. So he jumps out the car, trying to be tough, and he gets, like, smacked up and then thrown into the flames. So he's down. And... and that's worse. Like, you couldn't just let the ring of fire do its thing. Yeah, or just sit there and see what happens. Like, let's let it play out. Because I'd be pretty intimidated by that. First of all, that y'all constructed this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this was this just wasn't no, like... You ain't just run up on me. You executed this plan. In this spot. Yeah. To where the flames came like that. Yeah, so there was a well, well, well orchestrated situation here. Predicament that he found himself in. So they pull Kalita out of the truck. 
and Lloyd's guy puts his the barrel of his gun in the flames to heat it up and then puts it on his face and burns his face. That was a hell of a message. It's like, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Could have killed you in two ways. Oh. Yeah. That was gangster. I've never seen anything like that on TV. It really was. It really was. And then they took the truck and left him there. So how'd they get the truck out the fire? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so they take the truck. Good questions. <laughs> they take the truck and they leave. Then we get next, you know, next scene, it transitions. We get uh, Abel, Evil, and Dr. Senator. Uh, Abel is the consigliere for Josto. So he's the guy, he's the Dr. Senator for the Italians. Um, they are having a conversation. And Dr. Senator's like, yo, your people tried to take out Lloyd's oldest kid. And he's looking like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We ain't do that. And he's like, wait, you don't know nothing about this hit that happened? He's like, no. He's like, well, what about the robbery? Two broads, middle of the day, with guns. And he's legitimately looking confused as fuck because he's confused because he doesn't know what he's talking about. So that's when Dr. Senator really realizes and he asks him, he's like, well, who's in charge over there? Like, who's running stuff? And he's looking like, I don't even want to say anything about this. I need to take this back and get this figured out. Like, what's... But he's just like, nah, it wasn't us or whatever. And we get another Dr. Senator speech. Abel makes the comment about, you know, the thing that he's realized about Americans is they do a lot of pretending. So what it means to be American is to, be, is to pretend to be something you are not. And that's when Dr. Senator was just like, look, you can... You got to pretend. You got to do what you got to do. But we're not pretending that this shit didn't happen. And then the time just like, well, it's a, it's a war going on. And I can't pretend like it's not. Like, we're not going to pretend like this isn't a war that is escalating. We can't just act like this is not about to get bad. Uh, and then it kind of, you know, cuts and goes away. But that also gave us the title. That conversation gave us the title of the episode, The Pretend War. So I just want to point that out. Because I miss the days of television where that happened a lot. Where you would get the name of the episode in the show somewhere sons of anarchy did that the game of thrones that. did that game of thrones did that i missed those kind of notables um and then you get lloyd and the senator talking about the guns here's an interesting fargo note that ties us back to a previous fargo season when deciding what to do with the guns lloyd makes a comment send two of them to mort kellerman in fargo if you watch season two of fargo mort kellerman was a guy who was like a gangster in season two they got stabbed in the back of his head in the movie theater. Yep. Sent it to him at cost. Yeah. At the price of loyalty. So we don't know. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure we can just easily figure it out. Where the timeline that far that scene in Fargo season two took place versus where we're at right now in Fargo season four to find out if Mort actually helps Loy in any way or if Loy's not able to get help because of what happens to Mort Kellerman. So... I'm interested to see how that's going to tie into Lloyd's fate. This is the 50s. That was 1979. Was it? Mm-hmm. The, no, well, the movie theater scene was a throwback because that's when the main guy was little because he was a little kid who stabbed Morton in the back of his head because he was at the theater with his dad. So that was Good a um, throwback scene. Like, that scene was a, a mont up, like, a back-in-the-day shot for that. You're smart. Just, I pay attention sometimes, sometimes. Um, but anyway, so I think I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to play because... We've been waiting to see how this ties in one to previous Fargo's because they've kind of interweaved and figure out who the hell gonna die because there's a lot of people on the screen to die. But Elthorita helps Orita, so she goes to. Oh wait, okay. So before Elthorita gets there, we get this scene with Orita and Josto getting it in, and she's choking shit up. <laughs> Very interesting scene. 
So these two are, you know, still hanging out together. Ethel Rita shows up at the door. <laughs> I'm sorry, yo. She's choking the shit out of him, too. It wasn't even like it was good. He, she was choking the shit out of him. Like she wanted to kill him. And then, but then, right after he choked the shit out of him, he was trying to be, like, fresh with her. And she was like, excuse me, I'm a lady. <laughs> like, he went yeah. to go grab her butt. He was like, we're done. Don't, like, be respectful. And I'm like, yo, this lady is a whole serial killer. She just choked the shit out this bull. And now she's talking about, don't touch my butt. Don't disrespect me. She's different, yo. She's different. Her on and off switch is, like, serious. For real. So, Ethel Rita shows up as Jasper's leaving. And that was interesting because Orita looked at her and she was like, you know, you see what you did? No, he was already leaving. Like, he'd opened, he opened the door. She didn't even get a chance to knock. He literally opened the door because he was leaving. So why did you blame a little girl for him leaving the house? I don't know, but whatever. Sure. I feel like that was probably like an they do. editing continuity issue, but whatever. So Ethel Rita, you know, was taking one to take Orita up on her offer to clean her house to get paid because she said her family needs the money. And at first Orita was like, look, I need you to go away. I'm trying to go to work. And she's like, she's being real persistent. She's like, all right, fine, come on in. So she comes up with like a list of things for her to do and yeah, sure. Tells her, I think that's like a dollar's worth of work. I'll be here for a little while. Mm-hmm. And Arita's like, okay. Yeah, okay. You're smart. And she tells her to stay out of like this closet. Because Arita says, hey, what's in here? And she's like, oh, don't worry about that. You don't need to go in there. There's nothing in there for you. Don't, you know, we don't need to worry about anything in there. And of course, when you tell a child that, you're just going to do it. <laughs> so that's where I need to go. Yeah, that's the first place I need to go. Um, so Arita leaves. Arita's cleaning up the apartment. Does a really good job because... The scene before, that house was a wreck. So she cleans it up, and of course, she goes into the closet. And in this closet, we get Horita's backstory. This is where we see her Dexter. She has a Dexter closet. Not you, Dexter, but Dexter the serial killer closet. (laughs) Where she keeps stuff from the people that she kills. Her little momentums and whatnot. Horita finds a box that has all these clippings of people. And what she's connected is the fact that she finds a bracelet with the guy's name on it. And she found the clipping with the guy's name on it. So she's like, oh, wait a minute. And as she starts looking around at everything, she's like, holy shit. Like, this is what this is. So she's smart young lady. Puts two and two together really quickly. But not before. She put on a ring that was in a box. And she set down her notebook in there. When she hauled ass, she still had the ring on. And she left said notebook. So now she's going to be in Orita's crosshairs. For sure. As if her family already wasn't in her crosshairs when she poisoned them. With poison the pie, she's definitely in her crosshairs now. So she jets, leaves her stuff behind. We get Loy confronting Rabbi and on the street. So he didn't go to Joss, though. He went to Rabbi. And he's like, look, bring my son. And Rabbi's like, look, I saved your son. I'm the one, you know, who kept him alive. I made sure nothing happened to him or whatever. He's like, yeah, bullshit. I don't give. I don't care how you look at it. Just bring my kid. And I'll give you some money if you bring it to me. And I'll let you live. And Rabbi's like, I can't do that. I don't even know how you're going to say He's a wild boy, yo. He gonna say, you killed your whole family. How's that feel? (laughs) Just (laughs) backstory to anybody that doesn't necessarily know who Rabbi is. Rabbi was one of the kids who was swapped when he was younger, but he was the older of the two kids that got swapped because the rule is you're supposed to swap your youngest child. But his dad was disrespectful and said, take the oldest kid so later on in life, he actually backstabbed him, and they killed the entire family. Yeah. So he's not even really getting respected. He's over there with the Italian. He's Irish with the Italian. Just getting disrespected, watching the little black boy. So he's yeah. essentially doing what 
he's doing the job of the same thing that got him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's clear in the previous episode, he definitely, because he's been in this position before, he's trying to look out for the kids. Because he yeah. understands they're just innocent pawns in this whole bullshit. Definitely trying to do right by him. Yeah, so he's trying to look out for him. But I love Chris Rock in this scene. I love this character for Chris Rock. At first, I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling it or believing it. Because I just keep seeing Pookie. <laughs> but, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Um, but I was like, this scene right here for me, I was like, okay, I get it. This this whole episode for me with Chris Rock, I was like, I'm here for it. Yeah, I liked it. We get back to Zelmer still cleaning the throw up off the money. Um, Sonny's still getting sick. We get another haunting type scene. And these two scenes. Me neither. I'm going I'm to go look into it, and I'll talk about it next episode, but I don't get it either. And I hope at some point there's some connection, but I hope we don't try to interject some weird sci-fi shit. And say it's October. Yeah, no, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that. If there was a month to do it, this would be it. Uh-uh, I don't want it. Because <laughs> the show has been so just realistic, the way the series has gone. Don't just interject some random sci-fi shit for the sake of sci-fi shit. Wait, wait. Do you remember Fargo season two when they were having a shootout at the motel and the UFO came? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the UFO, Armani. There was just this miscellaneous UFO that just came. <laughs> everybody that was in the gunfight looked up at the UFO. The bad guy ended up getting shot because everybody was looking up at this unidentified flying object. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to say that that's what's going to happen. I really hope that that doesn't happen. However, (laughs) there's some history of something, you know what I mean, of them just not doing anything. I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm going to continue to tie it to the fact that they live with a mortuary under the house. Because if it was happening anywhere else, then say that. For right now, it's the weird stuff going on in the haunted Funeral home. Well, no. Well, this scene took place in the hotel that Zelmer and Sonny are staying in. So they weren't in the house. They were elsewhere. Oh, yeah. They're not in the house no more. Yeah. So maybe oh. it's just some kind of connection between that family. That yeah, maybe she's haunt. Maybe she just be haunted herself. Maybe. I don't know. Very interesting. I remember when I first watched that episode, I was like, what's happening right now? And then I watched it again. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm still not supposed to understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they don't want us to get that yet. Got no, it. At all. So she cleans up the money. She takes it to Thurman. And this is where we get fuck shit starting to happen. Because mm-hmm. she takes the Thurman, tells him don't ask questions. And he's just like, starts asking questions, of course. Like, where'd you get the money? Why does it smell like that? And she's like, questions? Questions? Questions, my Jesus. Stop asking questions. But she tells him where they're staying at. Because he asked, he's like, you know, if we want to see you again or whatever, where are you? And she was like, look, just take care of my sister and my niece and, you know, get, take care of that debt. And Thurman takes all of that cash straight to Loy immediately. As opposed to paying him off over time. As opposed to whatever he's paying, just adding a little bit more, saying, hey, I got some extra money in to help pay it off faster. He takes a whole bag of money to Loy and says, here you go, we're square. And Loy's looking like, not looking like, he asks, where'd you get this from? He's like, I really don't want, at first it was, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, okay, you don't want to talk about it. And he's like, well, my uncle died. And he left us some money. He's like, so your uncle dies and leaves you a, ca- a bag of money? A bag of cash? He's like, no, it came in the form of a check. But we figured that bringing you cash would be easier than bringing you a check. <laughs> and when he made that comment, you know, it's, I've never had a white man try to make things easy for me before. And he's like, oh, well, there's me. <laughs> he's like, well, there's me. I died. Because <laughs> I, I said, I was like, you neither. <laughs> you got a black wife and a black child, and neither of you, you're not doing it either. It's all, never mind. Let me not yeah. offend the listener. 
we see how naive Thurman is at this point. Because just to think to take all of that money in one and he wasn't going to ask no questions and that wasn't going to seem suspicious and that this man wasn't going to be like, oh, well, he got this money. I'm going to go ahead and take this money. And, and I'm still want some more money. Like, could you still can you still pay me up? Like, just, this could have just went so left. And even he made the comment. He's like, oh, I thought you were going to shoot me. Even if I had money or not, he's like, I considered it. <laughs> but he tells him to get the fuck. He tells him to leave before he changes his mind. Like, just leave. Go. What about his business? I would never question someone's giving me my life. Okay? Yes. Thurman leaves. And then Lloyd, who had picked up some of the money, goes to drink some coffee. And he smells his hand. He gets a whiff of something on his hand. So he smells his hand. It's like something's funky. Something's weird. And then he smells the money. And I can imagine this money probably smells like vomit cleaning product so that's when he immediately connects that money to the money that was stolen from him and he's like what the fuck and he like gets up lloyd knows where that money came from so now thurman and his family are square and lloyd's crosshairs because you got my money like you just tried to pay me with my motherfucking money so that's not gonna be good thurman goes home to celebrate with his family and tells them they're debt free and his wife is immediately looking at him like what did you do dummy like what did you do we're not this is not okay what did you do and again he's just looking like what i did it i did a good thing i did a good job and she's like uh nah not at all uh, so she knows something's coming and that's pretty much how it ends that's how how far goes season four episode four ends this was a good episode overall i thoroughly enjoyed this episode it's a good show all of those things that those questions i'm not worried about this show not answering because it's an anthology show, so everything usually ends the way it's supposed to end. So we'll get there. Yeah, you made the comment before. We have not been let down by any season of Fargo. Like, they have not finished it mm-hmm. in a bow and put a nice little period on the end of it. So joining the pod this episode, um, we're going to briefly talk about Utopia. So Utopia is a show on Amazon. It is. <laughs> it was presented to me. Like it was a little comic book show or whatever. I said it was about a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> this is about so much more than a comic book. Again, Utopia is an Amazon Prime original. There are a few episodes out, but we're just going to talk about episode one for now. Episode one is called Life Begins. A uh, quick back history about Utopia. It was originally a BBC dark comedy series that came out in like 2013. So this is a remake of a BBC show that had two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet a couple named Ethan and Olivia who inherited Olivia's godfather or grandfather's house. And when they go in the house, they clean it out or they go in the house just to see what they've got now. And the house looks like her grandfather clearly was a hoarder because there's shit all over the house. Boxes, papers, stuff just piled up. And they're going through it and they find this page of this comic book on the wall. And they're like, oh, you know, Ethan made the comment that he knew some or he's heard of someone finding an old Batman comic book and getting millions of dollars. It could be worth something. All right, cool. So he Googles it, takes a picture, puts it out in the ethos. Sure enough, there's a fan, you know, there's a fandom out there. He's like, even if we make a fraction of that, we could pay off student loan debt. So we could start a little nest egg for our family. Like, I could start my podcast. I thought that was cute. We're going to put a pin in that comment that he made. (laughs) (laughs) The graphic novel that they found is called Utopia. It's a sequel to a cult classic called Dystopia. My question here in having watched this episode twice was... How did her grandfather end up... So another pen put in somewhere. How did her grandfather end up with this one comic? Because they find out, essentially, it's a one-of-a-kind. There's not any other issues out there. They went to a convention and were holding interviews to do an auction to sell it. So they had, you know, a hotel room. They had people come in there. You could look at one page of the comic book. 
And then you had to give your name, room number, and what your bid was going to be. Mm-hmm. And whoever the highest bidder was going to be at the end of the night would get a call, and it was it was there. So a pretty clean process. Uh, yeah, I would say that wasn't smart on their part. At least to have it in their room. Or to have people coming to their room where they have it. You know, I think they figured because they were doing this at a hotel where there was already a lot of people, there's a convention going on, it was not just the two of them, they had their friends in the hotel room with them. You're right, you're right. That they wouldn't get robbed for the comic. I think was what they were thinking wouldn't happen. Because literally, somebody could have, could have just come in there with a gun and just held them up and took the comic book. Real talk. But that's not what happened. <laughs> we meet the main squad for this series. Um, it is a group of friends who met on, who have only known, met, or they've only known each other online. They've never met in person, which is a real thing for people to do. You meet friends online, playing video games, chat rooms, pretty sure everybody has friends on, you know, Instagram and Twitter. You've never met, but you, you know, probably like those people more than people you actually know. It happened. So this group is made up of Wilson, who is a older doomsday prepper. That's what they describe Wilson. You got Becky, who's a young black girl with epilepsy. Mm, not epilepsy she has they don't you don't know what she has yet that's all i'm gonna say you don't know what she oh, has okay yet. well you're further into this theory yeah now. okay you assume you assume it's epilepsy because she looked like she had a seizure when she was packing up her house to leave so that's why i assumed epilepsy but evidently armani knows something the rest of the class doesn't <laughs> i like i like that i like that part i like the fact that we don't know and she knows yeah <laughs> Um, we meet Ian, who is a love interest for Becky. He's just a kind of quirky white boy who works in the office. And the two of them have kind of been fostering a relationship in this group, their own little thing. We get Samantha, who, if you watched Happy, Happy Death, Death Day, Day. <laughs> you will recognize Samantha. Typical blonde, white chick. I feel like each She was one smart, of, though. She, she was, was smart. very smart. No, she was very smart. I feel like each one of them kind of fit a different... Like archetype that you need. Archetype, yeah, that you need for a group of nerds. Uh, they all fit that. Um, Samantha likes to deep dive into alcoholism in Utopia, mm-hmm. and she. Oh, well, I'll get back to that in a second. So, and then there's Grant, who we don't know what who Grant is yet because when they meet up and they're talking in the chat, like they don't show Grant when they're showing all of them in the beginning. You know, discussing, hey, we found Utopia, we're gonna meet up here. They message Grant, and Grant's just like, he'll be there. But we never actually see who Grant is at this point. But he still show up. So when they get to this convention, you know, kind of go through this pretty quickly. The one thing that stood out to me, because it happens to, it happens a lot, it happens more than it should, is when you're a female in a space, and you've got a bunch of gatekeeping dudes, fanboys, who want to talk at you like you don't belong there. And they're just like, oh, look, she likes Utopia too. And they're like telling her, in a very condescending way what the comic book's about. Mm-hmm. And she's looking at them like, that's not even what it's about. It's about like real life plague. And like, oh, yeah. starts going in. Mm-hmm. We forgot to mention that this group believes that Utopia is actually a kind of Da Vinci code to everything that's been going on as far as diseases that have circled the earth, I guess. Yeah, because it's it, yep. been... Go ahead. She makes references to Ebola, I believe, swine, like just different natural disasters. There's some other virus in there that's mentioned um, or that's in the book. And she making quotes to real life events. And of course, the dudes are looking at her like, oh, you're one of those conspiracy <laughs> theorists, people, huh? Um, but that's when Wilson overhears her talking and he's like, oh, wait, that's Samantha. So then the group, you know, kind of gets together and then they sit down, they're hanging out and we get to see Becky and Ian meeting for the first time in person and they're all like, oh, well, let's not talk about the comic. Let's take this time to get to know each other. And they do. They made out, like, pretty quick in a corner somewhere. 
Uh, so we get that. They're hanging out. Well, while this is going on, up in the room, Ethan and Olivia get a knock on the door from a little boy who's like, I'm here to see Utopia. And he's like, ah, so, oh, no, before that, a guy walks in the hotel room and is like, hey, I want to see the book. The show is told like this to everybody else. He's like, I'll give you 20, 20 grand cash right now for the book. And they're just like, sold. And this is why I said, let me put a pin in that comment. He said, you can start school. I can do my podcast and I'll pay off my student loan debt. 20 grand. Ain't doing 20 that. grand is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 20 grand is not enough for student loan debt. It's not enough to a thing for a family. That 20 grand is gone. Yeah, they didn't even try to negotiate because I feel if you give me 20K just up front, you can afford to give me more. Yeah, you probably got 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yep, nope, so it sells to him to get it to him. Then this little boy shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here for Utopia. And they're like, oh, kid, too late. I already sold it. We sold it. And he's like, to who? He's like, well, if you really want to see it, the dude who bought it lives up in the penthouse. Or he's up in the penthouse. You go see him and maybe he'll show it to you. Because they were treating him like, you weren't here to buy this book. No way. Like, little mm-hmm. kid, kind of brush him off. So little kid, we learn real quick, is pretty smart and resourceful. He goes down to the main desk. And says that he's locked out of his, his dad's hotel room and he needs to get up there. And sure enough, they give him a key. They're like, well, we normally we need ID. He's like, all I have is my aquarium name badge or some shit like that. Yeah, and he watched Home Alone a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, this kid's seen. Um, so he finesses his way up the penthouse. Gets in there, decides to do little kid things. Play in the bathtub. Um, try champagne, spit it out because it's nasty. Type stuff. And... In comes the guy whose room it is. So he hides. He's got the book and he hides. Because I got to figure out how to get out of here. Dude shows up with some little girl that he's hanging out with or whatever. And they think they're about to have a good time. But then they get a knock at the door and it's these two goons. First, they didn't even ask any questions about why everything in that room was the way it was. No, he, he looked. He looked like why. He was looking like things were moved. And I think he was about to probably like investigate further. But then the knock at the door came. Oh, okay. And we get these two guys. And they're like, where's, or let me take that back. Those two dudes first went to Olivia and Ethan's room. And they were like, where's the book at? And they're like, uh, we sold it. You should have showed up during business hours. And they're like, no, 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 fuck that. You understand this. We want the book. You're going to tell us where it's at. And you're going to tell everybody who's seen the book. These guys had took a meticulous name, phone number, and room number of everyone who had came and seen the fucking book. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to them. They're like, well, just give it to them. They'll leave us alone. They're like, this is a robbery. Because they're like, we're, you're going to tell us who's seen it. And you're going to give us your money. And we won't shoot you. We're just going to inject it with drugs. You'll just fall asleep. And then you'll wake up a little fuzzy, but you'll be fine. It's easier than us shooting it. Shooting. You just keep it simple for yourself. So they, one by one, start injecting all the friends. They start passing out. They inject Ethan. He passes out. Olivia gets it last. She passes out or whatever. And you're like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Like, they're just going to... I knew from jump that was not it. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. And you're not <laughs> gonna inject me with it right here, like nah. Can somebody fall asleep? I bought. I, yeah. I bought into that. I was like, that's a really clean way to just steal something from someone, knock them out, and they don't remember who the fuck you are. I knew it wasn't gonna be it when they didn't even let them get comfortable to get knocked out. Like they were just letting them drop. <laughs> okay. True, they could have said, you know, <laughs> so. So these guys, they start their search. First thing they do is go to the penthouse because they know who bought the book. Go to the penthouse, knock on the door. Old boy answers the door. They demand the book. He tells them it's in the bedroom. They proceed to shoot the girl that is with him. So he quickly knows that they're not here for play play. While we see Grant is trying to scurry out the room <laughs> um, and not be seen, they like stab this letter opener, I think. 
it was like a peacock. It was shaped like a bird thing oh, in yeah. his hand. So he couldn't move like the dude whose room it was, whatever. Grant runs out the room with the book. They see him. They try to chase him. Can't catch him. So they're like, all right, fuck. Now we got to clean up the rest of the stuff. And then we'll circle back to getting the kid with the book. This is when the show shifts. Yes, this is when we, we realize what we are dealing with on Utopia. <laughs> These guys make a phone call, say we need a background check run. Have background checks run on everyone who's seen the book. They go back down to Ethan and Olivia's room. They set, they stage that to look like they did drugs mm-hmm. and shot up an OD. So that's when I was like, oh, so they're not waking. That was over. <laughs> they stage that room that way. And then they proceed to go floor by floor, room by room, murdering everybody. It was very... Quentin Tarantino-ish. No, it was very... Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, no Country for Old Men. Oh, yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. <laughs> so it was very Javier no- Bardem. Javier Bardem, yes. Um, very No Country for Old Men in the way he meticulously went around and... Just shot everybody. Point blank. Yeah. So he cleans that. They, they do that. And then they what they had gotten that background check was that one of the guys suffered from mental illness... So they set it up and made it look like he was the one who went through and murdered everybody. So we see, one, that these dudes are serious about getting this book back. And then at the very end, we get this crazy looking girl who pops up in Olivia and Grant's room. And she's like, yeah, where's the comic? And Olivia is actually still alive at this point. Mm-hmm. And she's like, help me. And she's like, ah, where the fuck is the book? Like, where's the book? Give me Utopia. And she was like, it's gone. And she's like, who are you? And she tells them. Um, she's just God. She's just a God. Who is the main character? In the comic. And then it ends. So it's like, all right, this comic book is real, kind of real. Like, where is this going to go? There's a lot of... the the That first... That was a very good pilot, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen too many pilots that right out the gate. Although, I think we had to watch it twice. I think it started pretty slow. And I was like... Because I fell asleep the first time I tried to watch it through. And I had to make it until the end. Yeah. So, yeah, I disagree. I think it's it's one of those shows where I agree. Like, I, I think that... At the end, you're in it. Like it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Like yeah. I didn't, I wasn't really feeling the first episode until he got pushed out the window. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, oh, this is what we're doing. <laughs> it was like, oh, what happens now? Like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. We still trying to figure out him after he got pushed out the window. Right now, today. He fell on the ground. What you mean? <laughs> Never mind. You're not. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> he came with three eyed raven. <laughs> yeah, what's the three eyed raven again? <laughs> Brand. <laughs> what does he really do? Um, he's, he's the king. King, yeah. Brand the broken. Brand the broken. <laughs> it always circles back to Game of Thrones. It's true. Um, so yeah, that's it for Utopia. We will be adding that to our weekly watch, so we'll be talking about it more. But definitely check it out. So far, it is worth okay. watching, and it Rounding is enjoyable. out the remainder of this episode is Lovecraft Country, episode nine. Rewind, rewind 1921. Now, we're going to take our time just a little bit. Okay, We're going to slow it down right here. We kind of sped through the previous things we've discussed this episode just so we can get here and we can marinate with it because this episode deserves to be appreciated for so many reasons. Okay, so <laughs> We have questioned what this show was doing. We have called bullshit on things and we have been like, eh, why are we still here? And then we get here and we're like, this is what we're here for. Okay. So this this show has touched on different things in history from episode to episode. We get, we've got little tidbits and little Easter eggs about things. There was an Emmett Till thing. There was probably some other stuff that we missed. Because truly the Emmett Till thing, I don't think anyone actually got that until 
one of the writers had put it out on the internet, like on Twitter, that, oh, yeah, that was that was. Because nobody, I don't believe, really just watched that scene with the kids playing with the Ouija board and looked at this kid and was like, oh, that's the same tie Emmett Till had on in his photo. They've done a good job of touching on things, and it's been a beautiful show. Though we've hated some of the story and how it's been dragging out, overall, you know, we've been waiting for this moment. So this episode, Rewind 1921, starts off. We pick up after Dee had got attacked by Topsy and Bobsy, and she is, like, comatose. And now at this point, she looks like a pickaninny. Like, she looks like one of those creatures. And we got Ruby, we've got Tig, we've got uh, Montrose, we've got... Uh, Letty on the room arguing about you know you were supposed to be watching her you failed her you know you didn't take care of her and the, Ruby is just like look fuck this all y'all are at fault none of y'all are watching her. Ruby was the main one at fault wasn't she with Ruby at the funeral they were all there but I mean who's family at the end of the day this is this is Montrose and Atticus's niece okay but Ruby was with her uh, she left her to go mess with Christina <laughs> well she ran off and I look all of them dropped the ball this poor baby so Ruby pretty much said this she's like it's everybody's fault <laughs> everybody dropped the ball um, and they're like you know there's magic involved how are we going to fix this and Atticus is like well I can I'll take the pages that we have left from the book of names to Christina and see if Christina can help and they said let's the cat out the bag well it's not an option because I already gave Christina the pages that we had left so I don't think she's going to do shit for us. And he's like, well, that was our last bargaining chip. And she's like, well, I used it to get a spell to protect you, but she protected me. And Montrose goes on, goes in on Letty and is like, yo, you, the main one talking about some no magic, and you have the fucking audacity to go get magic for yourself? For one of the few times in the show, I agree with Montrose on the fact that, so when were you going to tell us that we didn't have those pages anymore? This is a very good question. Like, when was this conversation going to happen had this not happened? Um, <laughs> and we see Ruby holding back Letty for like no Ruby stepped in front of her sister to protect her and she was like first off you're not gonna talk to her like you're not gonna talk to my sister like she needed that spell because she and she started to say she's pregnant but Letty stopped her and then we get Atticus holding back his daddy like calm down be easy um I love that Ruby was about to throw hands for her so I didn't that like I was here for it I'm just I like Ruby a lot we're gonna get into more Ruby but so Ruby's like you know what Christina will help, and she's gonna help. She'll she'll do it for me. And they look at her like, say, what's they want? Okay. So they go to Christina. They pull Christina in. Christina's like, this is magic that you know Lancaster used that has his own stuff mixed in with some of the old you know stuff from her dad's stuff. And she's like, I I, I can't fix this. It's beyond what I can control. I can reset it so it goes back to you know her time reset to get you guys more time. But you're going to need the actual book of names. To fix her. You're like, all right, well, cool. Well, what do you need until we get the book? And they were like, blood of her closest relative. And this is when we go back to, once again, having a discussion of, at this point, Hippolyta is still MIA. We don't know where she's at. Mm-hmm. Hippolyta um, is not there. We're thinking the closest relative would be Montrose. But Montrose in the back of his head knows that, truthfully, the closest relative right now is probably Atticus, because Atticus would be her brother. And this is when Atticus... He has a conversation with Atticus about... Um, so it wasn't even much of a conversation. He was just kind of like, you might not be my son. Yeah, yeah. I posted. Like, <laughs> yeah. Word. Word. Like, he, <laughs> as mad as Tick is at him, as mad as he is at him, he's never, ever sensitive about how he says things, ever. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? Actually, man, we was having a conversation the other day, you know what I'm saying? Your mom, back in the day, with me... 
and your uncle. She was for both of us. They got close after the riots in Oklahoma, and you could be there. And, you know, I knew this. What else? Um, and Atticus got pissed, and he was like, you know, all this. No, actually, no, this is not where that conversation happened. It happened later, so we'll come back to it. We switched to Ruby and Christina. So Ruby's asking Christina for her help, or she's talking to her about what's going on in the status of things. And she's like, you know, what are you really after? And, you know, they're talking. And this scene is where... Christina tells her, you know, it's bigger than just this and I, you know, what I want and my plan and all this, that and other. And this is when Ruby goes over to the body that Christina was keeping alive for her and turns off the oxygen to shut it down. And then Ruby makes a comment. She was like, you know, when I used to picture myself white, I always picture myself a redhead. I read this scene as Ruby telling Christina, I'm still going to rock with you. Find me a redhead. You know what? I am willing to bet money. Ruby is going, if Christina lives through this last episode, Ruby's going to turn into a white woman permanently. I, I believe that's that's the end game. Christina's going to be William permanently. Ruby's going to be a white woman. And they just going to be white. <laughs> <laughs> they better not. They better not. They better not. They better not. They better not do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not foreshadowing like you guys. I don't know if it means... I just think that she was telling what she would have been if she imagined that she was a white woman. I don't know if that means that she's going to come back as a different white woman. So you think that she's going to go find her a redhead? Yep. Yep. I think Christina's going to go find her new boo thing, a new body. Well, only thing I can, the only proclamation that I will say is that they're definitely going to be a couple. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, somewhere. like, this whole episode, you know, she had let her know. She's like, look, I did be you. You know what I'm saying? She's like, I can really care less about anybody in your family. I'm trying to kill Tick tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she let her know, I do this for you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucked up. Like, this relationship is just... I don't know what it is. I don't know what the word for it is, but man, it's it's written well because like you, on one hand, I'm finding myself rooting for it. I don't get what's not clicking for Ruby that Christina is the reason everyone is fighting. She's the she's the source of the evil in this whole show. Yes, yeah. There's no other to be immortal. Why? But she's the whole point of conflict for everyone here. Before they even, before Ruby even met Christina, when they were in Artem, and she killed her father. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we, Christina is the villain here. We, you, underline when she is the villain. That's true. So Hippolyta pops back up on the scene. We're talking about trying to fix D, and she's like, oh, D sick. With her Dora the Explorer backpack. No, she rolling up in there with that backpack on like that had me, like, <laughs> dying. I was like, wow, okay. But they tell her what's going on. Then they reset the curse, and that scene was something. I could tolerate the Ruby transforming scenes better than I could tolerate the bugs coming out of Dee's arm. That was, like, just nasty. Mm. <laughs> I was like, eh, I need to see these nasty bugs. But, so they reset the curse. They give Dee more time. Apollo, they head back to the time side, which Apollo schools them on. It's not a time machine. It is a multiverse machine that mm-hmm. can transform to different times and space points in time and space or whatever. And she's like, I'm the motherboard. And they're like, what's the motherboard? And when they said that, at first I was like, are you stupid? But then I realized mm-hmm. this is the 50s. They would have no, or whatever. Technology wouldn't Yeah, use. technology, was, there was no motherboards. Like, that wasn't a conversation. So I was like, all right, that's right. Hippolyta's been all over space and time. Like, she's been to the future and back. 
Yeah, they said she was gone for 200 Earth years, so now she has infinite wisdom. Yeah, and she even said that. She was like, I know. So in order to get the book, they have to go back to Tulsa, 1921, the day of the Tulsa Massacre. So they get back there. Atticus, Montrose, and Letty go back. And of course, when they get back, of course, you know, they're not wearing clothes that go with the time period. Just the first thing. We got to get us some, some stuff to blend in because it might take us a little bit to get what we need. Um, and you can immediately see Montrose's, like, Michael Williams is such a fucking phenomenal actor. You could see the pain in his face this whole episode. Like, Just thinking about going back to that time. Yes. Like, he looked like someone who had lived through a trauma and was going back to have to revisit it again in every scene. <laughs> the pain on his face was there. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. Him and Tick together, like, the emotions between the two of them. Yeah. It's, it, at, so we see young Montrose on the front yard at his, at his dad's house. Or their home. He's young. His dad's out there beating, them, beating him. And while this is happening, Montrose is explaining to Letty and Tick what they're seeing. He said that, you know, I took George's prom jacket and I was playing with it. And it was really expensive. And it got from here. And it was almost seemed like he was trying to downplay why he was getting beat. But then when his dad made the comment, which you hear, you know, no son of mine is going to walk around. You want to put a flower in your hair? Not in my house. So then he was like, okay, well, it was a little bit more than just a jacket. That flower was the corsage and I put it in my hair or behind my ear. Um, And he was like, you know, maybe I deserved it. And Letty was like, no child deserves to be treated like that for no reason, basically. So this is when Atticus starts to see what his dad went through as a child. And maybe a little bit, because when they first landed... He started drinking. They're like, you're drinking now? Come the fuck on. Like, right now is not time you're drinking. And he's like, look, you don't know what I've seen, what I've been through. What today is. Yeah, what we're about to have to deal with. I took a little swig. Let me be. And at this point, I'm also starting to see, like, okay, you survived your dad fucking beating your ass on the front lawn and calling you a sissy. So in front of the neighborhood, not in, the, not in your house, outside on the lawn. Type. So during this scene, my, um, the is it Theodora? It's not Theodora. I don't know. Atticus' is mom. <laughs> Dora was Cardora. Dora, yeah, that's right. Dora's. So Dora comes out and she defends Montrose. She steps in front of his dad and she's like, you know, stop hitting him or whatever. And he looks like he's about to raise his hand at her. And her dad pops out. I was like, I don't hey, know. Yeah, you can do what you want with your kids, but you're not going to hands on mine or whatever. And so we see how that connection started because she stood up for him. She defended him. He ran off. We see young George comes out and she gets in George's face and is like, yo, you need to step up and protect your brother. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? You know, get it at my ass with form two or whatever. And she was like, you're supposed to do something to protect him. Mm-hmm. And Montrose is talking to Tick and Letty still. And he's like, you know, she doesn't, she, what she didn't know was that he had stood up for me on different occasions. Like he had, he'd been trying, like he tried to help and got his ass with too. So. It was yeah, he said George used to stick up for me more than anybody. Yeah. We, we see the backstory in there. And then Montrose is like, look, I got to, there's something I got to take care of or whatever. Something I got to go do. And he like dips off. And Letty and. No, nah, they didn't notice he dipped off. Well, he did. I'm just saying. He's mm-hmm. gone. And when, once they realized that, they're like, where the fuck did he go? And that's when Tick was like, he had made a comment earlier about. Telling George about getting shot, shot at Artem. Yes. He wanted to try and save George. So they're like, she's like, look. That's on one side of town, and the book's on another side of town, so, or well, the book's right here, I guess. So you need to go try to find him and stop him, because we can't affect the past. Like, we can't change the future, because we don't know what telling George that information could do, period. So. I feel as though this show made me hate time travel, because we learn, we learn that Tick's mom, Dora, 
Her family has the book of names, but this same night they die. Their houses destroyed. Okay, we didn't get there yet. No, but I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. Old time travel grievances till the end. <laughs> All right. But so far, we I just. Have questions. I got some things. Tick catches up with Montrose, and where he's at is a statue, and you see Montrose is confronting his friend Tom. We get more Montrose backstory telling. Take about how Tom was his first friend and it wasn't enough for them to just not be friends. Tom had to not exist and that was like the first person he ever, ex- I guess, showed his gay feelings toward as far as a black man. And they were out there and he was telling them they couldn't see each other no more. And that's when this gang of white dudes rolls up um, and we see the confrontation of what Montrose wanted to do was to save Tom. It had nothing to do with George. He wanted to save Tom. And Tick is like, we can't do that because we don't know what that could change, which is a very valid point. Again, you don't know mm-hmm. what that could change if you keep him alive or whatever. So we can't do that. And he holds him back. And again, phenomenal acting in this scene. And Tom gets shot. George and Dora appear. And this is the story that we've been seeing, we've heard about through this entire series so far. The story of the night some mysterious man came and saved them from the white boys and he was swinging it back like Jackie Robinson and he you know said something to them at the end we've heard this story told since the first episode yeah so I feel like it's a callback to Tick's dream during that first episode yes um Tick, well, Tick's dream to George telling him Montrose told him he they like it's been in every episode this story has been mentioned so they're waiting and they're like where the fuck is the stranger and then you know Atticus kind of like stumbled like he starts to go forward a little bit and there's a bat on the ground. And then that's when they realize, holy shit, is me. So Tick picks up the bat and he goes out there and wreck shop, starts cracking heads and swinging the bat. And so he was the mysterious stranger. So this is a call to, we're going to have time travel conversation at the end, <laughs> but this is a call to when you go back in time and you do some shit, how it can affect the future. Because then that was a memory that was created for them, mm-hmm. for those kids, for, for Montrose and George, for something that they remembered happening. And now we see how that happened. So the whole, when you go back in time, you can affect the future because they created that memory right there. So they are, they'd already been, like, this already happened, basically, type thing. Letty, however, is at Dora's house, Dora's family house, to get the book. So she's going through stuff. And then Dora's grandmother, Hattie, catches her sleeping around. She's like, yo, what are you doing? She has a gun on her. So what are you looking for? She said those weird shoes you got on. Yeah, she's like, I ain't never seen no shoes like that. Because, <laughs> of course... Lady had on with some chucks. Yeah, I think she had Vans on. Even worse. <laughs> what? Yeah, she-, she had on like some low top. Or no, they weren't Vans, but they were the Vans styles. Like they were tennis shoes. They were more modern. Okay. Yeah, they were like skippies. I was <laughs> looking at them. I remember when she was walking down the street and I was like, yo, she got on this dress. She's walking like a whole dude and she has on these sneakers. And I'm like, she stands out. Because yeah, everybody, because okay. the, when they told, when they said that they had to change clothes or whatever to look like everybody else around there, and the next thing you know, they had on suits, and she had on the red, and I was like, dang, you had no shoes, huh? Confinement <laughs> <laughs> to swap out with, but we know she needs, she got to put on the jets when the time comes, so we <laughs> need to stay. She got to stay ready. She ain't got to get ready. Um, she's a running ass. They did not waste that whole. She ran track in high school. Yep. <laughs> been wasted. She gonna run in every episode. <laughs> With perfect form. Uh, but then she tells uh, Hattie, "Look, I'm because at this point, well, when she was going there, she was getting attacked, and Dora's father had saved her and pulled her in the house. So this, I feel like, is another situation that could have affected history. Okay, them pulling her in that house. What?" 
never mind, we're not gonna talk about here, but so they pull her in the house and she's like, well, what's going on out there? Where are they? We need to know so we can be prepared. And she's kind of hesitant to say anything, but then she's like, there's a truck full of them at the end of the block. So they start to get weapons, try to prepare. The white dudes show up and they start throwing Molotovs and stuff at the house. And it's catching fire while she's talking to Hattie and telling her, I'm from the future. <laughs> I need the book of names. I'm in love with your grandson. And, you know, Dora and Montrose, they fall in love and they have this baby who I'm in love with now. And I'm carrying his baby. So I'm carrying your great grandchild. And we need this book to be able to save the family. And clearly Hattie's been well educated about what this book is that she has in her protection. <laughs> so she's like, all right, you're from the future. What's going to happen to us? Do we die here? This is when this episode, like, starts to fucking kick it up. <laughs> she's like, do we die here? And she's just looking at her like, yeah, you do. And she wants to go down there. She's like, I can't just let my family die. And she's like, look, I, if you don't, like, if this doesn't happen or if you don't, you know, if you don't, if I don't get the book, none of us exist. Like, the future just, it doesn't, the family's going to, the entire family will be gone at the entire line. Um, and Hattie makes a comment to her saying that her faith, that her great-grandchild that Letty is carrying is her fate made flesh. And the house is burning down. <laughs> I'll sketch his fire. But the two of them, she gives her the book. She asks her to pray with her. And at this point, they start playing a poem by Sonia Sanchez called Catch the Fire. At this point, you've watched this episode and you have not gone back and listened to this poem in its entirety. You should do so. It is an amazing poem. It was still very well fitting. They've done poetry they played a section of For Color Girls earlier in this season with Ruby. So they've done a good job with the things that they've weaved in here as far as like poetry and music. And it's been really good. So this poem is playing and it talks about catching fire. And it's, you know, very moving, powerful scene as you're watching Hattie burn to death. But we know that Letty is protected by the spell. So she's not going to get hurt. But watching this woman just burn like this, was rough. We have seen journey. This is the second Journey Smollett scene where she has had to watch an ancestor, like where she's had to deal with ancestors going through it. When she had to bring them back to clear that house, and she was, you know, seeing what was done to them and making them whole and like bringing them together. And then now this Journey Smollett's acting has been fucking phenomenal throughout these. Episodes. It's crazy. The acting on the show is impeccable. The acting, the writing. Um, the effort that's been put into it all like it's it, now we're starting to get the payoff from what we've been seeing this entire time the house is burning down and something to note um is that the poem then turns into operatic music it is still the poem the words of the poem but they turn it into an opera form at this point montrose and tick have made it back to how they got in and they're waiting for letty they're trying to like where is she at but something is wrong with this portal and Tick jumps back through it, and he sees Hippolyta struggling to keep it open. So he's there. Piping her up. Yeah. <laughs> do it for D. Do it for D. <laughs> D ain't in that portal. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Letty had the book, though. Letty had the book. Yeah. <laughs> she is foaming at the mouth. She then full-on becomes fucking Storm and starts hovering. Her hair turns blue. And that's a callback to these comic that she showed her in the beginning. These comic book, yes. That is what that was. Um, the super, the heroine with the blue hair. We get all that going on. And at the same time, again, still this fucking moving ass music. And it goes back to Montreux standing there in that clock tower looking window, overlooking the city on fire. Like the fires to start. Because this was night one. This massacre spanned more than one night in real life. And I've been the show. 
Um, but night one, like you've got guys running around shooting people, beating people up. You've got buildings on fire. And we start to see the planes. They literally flew in fucking planes and dropped bombs on this area of Tulsa. And I ain't gonna lie, Letty was taking her sweet time going down this road. <laughs> I was kind of taking her time. But I, I'm here. Okay, for, I'm here for dramatic effect. I'll take it. <laughs> but one of the things, Mantra was reciting the names and stories of real victims of the Tulsa massacre. The people that he mentioned, the people that he were he was talking about, were actually people who died. Like these were real people that he was paying homage to. Um, and one of the comments, or something that said, is, "What if the horrors of the past are not only a destructive fire, but ones that drive us? The fire of the living, and not just the fire of the dying." It was something that he had said. So this whole, and then that's when like the bombs drop, and you get Letty walking through flames. And it just totally brings it full circle between the fires of burning down the city and all these people who died and that tie-in with taking that fire and fueling the future. Like, this this doesn't need to be something that becomes destructive that we stay in. This is something that we need to use as fuel to drive us forward. This was a fucking powerful episode. Like, it was... Talk that shit. Talk that shit, Twin. It was so fucking good. And I was, like, trying not... Like, I watched it twice. And even the second time, I was just like, but trying not to cry. Like, it's... Yeah, Letty brings her dramatically walking self. They get to the portal, and Tick, you know, Belida falls, and Tick catches her, and she's like, you know, he's like, we're good. We got it. We're good. Um, Yeah, it was a lot. It definitely was. Are we ready to talk about our views <laughs> on the time travel? Um. So, yeah, some things about time travel in this episode, okay? Um, go ahead, <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, because I've been preparing this for, like, two days. Um... <laughs> This show made me realize how selfish you kind of have to be to time travel. Because realistically, if she would have saved Dora's family and say they would not have existed, if they wouldn't have existed, they wouldn't be in this situation necessarily. So, But that family would have had that chance to live or possibly get out of there and what they could have done. Because they already had the book of names. So it's like they could have had their own path of magic. Yeah, their own path of magic. Like, instead of Christina's white-ass family having it, it could have been the black folk who had that magic. Exactly. Yeah. And, like I said, if they didn't exist, really, they wouldn't be going through anything. So, you're, you would, you're not technically giving anything up if what you give up does not exist. I think part of the thing is, there wasn't time to process to think like that, because... The real, the whole reason for going back was to fix D. They needed that book to be able to fix D. They weren't even thinking about helping themselves. It was just, it was about D. Now, that's a very valid point. However, obviously, Tick wouldn't exist. But we don't know how much of what else, like, had they, let's say they did survive and they definitely did get out of there. What if, like, someone, what if they had, like, that could have, there's a negative possibility for a chain of effects. We don't, I mean, that whole butterfly effect thing, we don't know what negative could have come out of that like somebody could have been serial killers and like there could have there's just too many variables to fuck around with i understand that another thing that popped into my head was what if them pulling leticia in that house is why they stayed in that house like that so that's that was my thinking what if the fact that letty went into that house is what drew those white guys to that house yeah and for the fact that when because the family was trying to leave but they were looking for the grandma and the grandma was upstairs dealing with letty so they were trying to look for her, and it's like, 
bro, what if this is all your fault? True. That that's a very valid that that's my thinking on it too. Because had Lady not been there, those white guys might not have been at that part of the street. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have had not they wouldn't have had a reason, but they started firing on them because they they fired back. Yeah. Trying to help Letty out. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very good question and a point. So did they cause like how much of what happened to their family are they it's kinda crazy. That's that's mm-hmm. the that's the issue. When you start bringing time travel into shit, those are the questions that can easily, you know, start poking holes in stories and that you gotta ask. Dexter, what's your thoughts? On the episode as a whole? Yeah, any of it. I like what I'm saying. I'm just watching. Like, I don't have expectations as you guys. However, my friend Tom, he's kind of killed time travel for me as a whole. He hates time travel. So every time I'm around and he talks about time travel, he kind of kills it. So um, I don't even judge it. I just kind of watch it because I'm not trying to understand the ins and outs of time travel because everybody does it differently. And even what you just said, your whole theory is like, I can't even wrap my head around that theory of if it didn't happen, if it did happen or what. However, I do love the execution of this show. I didn't think that it would be so historical. You know, when you think about the first scene of the first episode and then you think about where we're at, and where we've been. Man, this show has a lot. And I almost am scared because it's like, are they going to give us another season or are they going to do us dirty like Watchmen? My thinking is, we've opened up a couple doors. Well, first, my first question is, where the fuck is Gia? She, I hope she took herself back to Vietnam. We brought her in. We flew her into the U.S. for her to get fucking verbally abused by Tick just to not see her in two episodes. Essentially, it's been two episodes. Like, we ain't seen her in two episodes. So... We don't know where she's at. We still have to get back to where we where episode one started. So we still have, like, there's still a good amount to go. And there's only one episode left. Mm-hmm. When you say where's Gia, like, what's her purpose in the first place? That's the what only, like, her only purpose was really to tell Tick because he was going to die in the future. I don't, I don't even understand why we needed a whole episode for her unless it's going to matter next episode. That that would be the whole, not the whole conversation, but that would be a large part of our conversation after Sunday's episode is, was that necessary? And boy, oh boy, do I hope it was necessary. Because I will be upset if we really wasted a whole episode on that for it to mean nothing. It's like a thing nowadays in TV. <laughs> Armani, did you watch Atlanta? Uh, I watched some of it. Did you see it? The episode with the guy when he was painted white and it was a whole episode where the kid andre from uh damn what's his name um i always call him andre from get out uh oh Paperboy. yeah that no no the other one the other oh, one. oh um lakeith stanfield yeah that one he there's like an episode they paint donald glover like he paints himself to look like a michael jackson uh, figure <laughs> he looks like bob's big and the whole episode is, it doesn't really connect to anything before or after that episode. So it reminds me of the, you know, like an episode that they just went one place and they told you one thing and they just, you know, so it reminds me of a waste of episode in that area if they don't address it. I don't see them not addressing it, though. It doesn't look like this show is a not tie up loose ends type of show everything that they bring out they pretty much you know come back to however we ain't seen the cop from the first episode since the beginning you kept saying you thought was gonna come back (laughs) 
I'm trying so, to figure out what was the point of us even getting that first episode. Yeah, parts of that first episode were might have been a, a bit much too. So I mean, we've had we've had a little like okay, you know, we've had questionable moments, but I guess our questions will be answered on Sunday when the last episode. So then we can talk about all of our questions and just have a Lovecraft to Palooza conversation. Didn't Donald Glover dress up as that white dude and go to an award show? I don't think I don't know. I never saw. I that. feel like he did. I feel like he went so I feel like he showed up at an award show in that costume. I think that's what I was thinking of saying uh, when you brought that up. So it had nothing to do with Lovecraft anyway. So I'm gonna cut that out. Um so yeah, so Lovecraft, one more episode left and then we're gonna see how it shakes out. You're correct. He did. He was just in the episode, just he was in the in the audience, just sitting there. He didn't yeah. say nothing. <laughs> okay. I knew I wasn't sure of it. <laughs> kind of stepping outside of Lovecraft and just the overall TV. I H, I wanna applaud HBO for what they've done with Lovecraft as well as Watchmen. Because I was doing a little research last night because it was my third time watching. And I didn't realize not until last year was the Tulsa massacre acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Like, and I honestly, I attribute that to Watchmen. Yeah. Because they just had the court hearing to where basically they were like, yeah, the cops in the city had a, had a play in that. Mm-hmm. Like we helped organize that. But that's kind of all they gave us. Like, a, we, yeah, we did that. So, prior to Watchmen, most of this country did not know that event even fucking happened. Mm-hmm. It is not in any history book outside of Oklahoma. And the only reason I had heard a little bit about it, still didn't know the extent of it, was because I worked with someone who was from Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, young black couple from Tulsa. And, like, they had mentioned it. And I was just like, well, I'm, I mean, everywhere in this country has a history of lynching black folk. I mean, like, everywhere. Even though being from the Northeast, where I feel like we easily get used to the thought of we grew up in the North in a free in a free state, like it's it's been free. We ain't got that Southern slave I don't want to say Southern slave mentality, but it is very different living in the South, having spent so much time in Texas. The mentality between Black people in the South and Black people in the North, who were like raised, even though at the end of the day everyone's family came somewhere in the South and migrated north uh, at some point. It's just a matter of how if, how far back your family had been in the north kind of affects the way you pers- like the way you see that. We we'll see things period when it comes to but knowing someone whose family is from Oklahoma and lived in Texas like they that's a thing that they've grown up knowing that that happened. Whereas the rest of this country didn't know about this so, like until you said until Watchmen. And then it was like, "Oh, this was real." And then you start People start talking about it and start digging. And because, like, even in Oklahoma, they don't want to talk about that. Yeah. They'll shut you down real quick if you bring that shit up. This year is the first year they had to teach it in schools. Oklahoma's a pretty. Oklahoma's our Germany. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oklahoma's our Germany. Can you name the the podcast episode that? Oklahoma's our Germany. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that. There sounds sounds offensive, but it's funny. But it's true. It is true. It is. It is. Like you really think about it. If you gotta pick a state, that's why I ain't no more watching. (laughs) Y'all picked out too many doors. Y'all brought up some. Don't don't expect no more Lovecraft neither. Now that I think about it, y'all getting a little too liberated with this TV now. I'm saying. Now, but HBO, um, you know, adding what you said earlier, HBO has been an ally for a long time. Now, I don't know if that's a true ally or if they are just smart enough to cover all bases. However, 
they have been doing black documentaries for years, like almost two decades. Like they've been showing stories. They just didn't put it into scripted drama. You know what I mean? And now look at it. I will say they did almost fumble the bag when they entertained um, them, the writers from Game of Thrones, when they wanted to do that whole civil rights show where if the South had one bullshit, HBO entertained that until Twitter got it shut down. Um, and they were like, you know what? Maybe y'all are right. We not. Uh-huh. But they entertained it. Like that shit was being worked on. And I think that's part of the reason why they probably like fucked up Game of Thrones. Because they was like, oh, well, fuck this. We're going to go else. That, I think that, that started the chain of events of them needing to get the fuck away from HBO. Because it was like, HBO was like, nah, we, you know, we don't need this kind of, we don't need this look at all. And they actually went out and hired <laughs> They hired some black people who were involved in it. like there's some people anyway. I want to know went, what they were offered. Huh? I want to know what they were offered. What who was What offered? is your price to play a slave? <laughs> <laughs> it's a job. Uh, you got slavery? Tea, you got food on the table. Antebellum was a thing. <laughs> this is not uh, Twelve Years a Slave is a movie. Um, Antebellum is a movie. We've got a shit ton of slave movies. Let's be. Let's be. I mean, there there's enough exist. And honestly. Enough exist. <laughs> You're right. You know, right there. That's it. <laughs> Enough exists. You are right. We don't need to keep seeing them anymore. Um, we know it. We know the history. We know the stories. Are there any more of those stories that even really need to be told? I think we're done. So I think you're right. We've had enough. I don't think there's any more historical figures, stories from that time period that we need told. We've done. We've got Harriet Tubman. We are. Yeah, we got the Harriet Tubman origin film. <laughs> right now, speaking of these movies, we've gotten all these movies, and right now on Showtime is a show called Good Lord Bird, which we watched the first episode. It's been a while now since we watched that first episode, since it premiered. We definitely need to go back and rewatch it, and then maybe watch the second one to really like talk about it, because we're not talking about here, but again, another Black history period piece that's out there in the world right now, um, if you guys want to check it out. Uh, before we close it out with sleepers, just want to, you know, dial back to Armani. Your sleeper last week was Possessor. We watched it. How do you guys feel about it? Good choice there, homegirl. It was... For, no, okay. How do you find shit like that? Because I was watching it. I was like, where did she, how did you find this? What you I, I, ran, I went to the drive-in movie theater, and they were doing a double feature. Usually the drive-in kind of has some hidden gems. So you was doing old... And it, it, that's fitting, because that seems like a good drive-in grindhouse film yeah yeah no we watched the possessor and it's good um you can find it in the world it exists out there it is a very original movie i see why i did well at sundance because there's nothing like it like this is legitimately it's been a while like original ideas are hard to come by in movies nowadays that was legitimately a whole original idea that i've never seen it done in a movie theater in a movie before um sexer what do you think about it i gotta watch it again i've seen it but it's it needs to be seen again. Okay. It has a lot of detail, and I was trying to do something while I watched it, so I gotta watch it in. However, I liked what I saw. It was extremely gory. That's what I'm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that guy was something else. It seems like the the things that I've been watching the last week or so very gore themselves. Okay, and that takes us into sleepers, because <laughs> uh, my sleeper's pretty gory. Armani, what's your sleeper this week? My sleeper is the grave of the fireflies. It's a Japanese movie. It was made back in 1987, I believe. But it covers the bombings um, the bombings that were done during World War II. And it follows his brother and sister as they try to navigate their life afterwards. Hiroshima and Nagasaki? 
Yes, but it's not specifically those. Okay. Um, I, I think that movie kind of made me realize how much the Japanese acknowledge their history, but I guess it's not, they weren't at fault for it. I mean, um, they just picked the wrong side. Okay, I won't say that. I realize that they use animated films rather than actual people and putting them through that having to act out that trauma. Was this an animated movie? Yes, it's a and yes, it's a Studio Ghibli movie. Oh, I, I love Studio Ghibli. I love Kiki's Delivery Service. It's really sad. I uh, think I you'd like it. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want because the other one made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the other one? It's Kiki's Delivery uh, Service, and then the one Spirited Away. Spirited Away made me cry. I'm not watching any more Studio Ghibli movies, but I love them, and they're all on HBO. Dexter, what is your sleeper? My sleeper is actually something on Hulu. It's a Vice show. It's called The Dark Side of the Ring. It is about... It's basically everybody that worked for Vince McMahon at one point that doesn't work for him now having conversations about all of the things that happened outside of him. Um, You know, we tend to think that the whole wrestling world is the WWE or, you know, the WWF, what it used to be. But there's a lot of... Um, ins and outs of what happens in the territories and how wrestling was before Vince got there. Um, but they go over some things that people would know in like pop culture, like just recently, um, Jimmy Snooker, before he passed away, you know, he was accused of killing his wife or Owen Hart falling um, from a scaffold into the ring and dying during a pay-per-view or Chris Benoit killing himself and his wife and his kid. Um, There's a two-part special on that. Um, There's a lot of crazy wrestling things. Um, There's about, I think it's about seven episodes. They even cover like, you know, one time when they had boxing in WWE and how that was a big mistake. And they have, you know, um, just different territories and different stories, different tragedies about what happened to wrestling families and essentially the wrestling business, which is this secretive business that was secretive until a certain point. And now it's kind of the lid is blown open. Very interesting stuff. If you've ever watched wrestling as a kid or if you've ever um, been invested in any of these characters, it's worth a watch. It's on Hulu. It's a Vice show, but it's like um, Hulu has all of them on there. Just two seasons. Okay, so it's called Dark Side of the Ring? Dark Side of the Ring. Okay. My sleeper this week comes with a hell of a trigger warning. Trigger warning for rape. Trigger warning for mutilation. Trigger warning for just over-the-top gratuitous violence. Not gonna lie, I've seen people almost put this on the level of uh, torture porn. It's pretty, it's a lot. Um, however, if you enjoyed the hostile movies, if you enjoyed things hostile, hostile probably the, if you like Eli Roth movies, you will probably be able to watch this and <laughs> like it. So a lot of gratuitous violence, sex, nudity. It is a spit on your grave one. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, It's actually, it's a remake of a 1978 film of the same title. There's the original on Amazon. There's this remake and there's two sequels to this new one. So there's three of these movies that exist in the world. They're on Amazon. But the first one, again, I gave all the trigger warnings. So if any of those things bother you, do not watch this. Um, But if you do, it essentially follows the story of a woman who was assaulted and she comes back to get revenge. And she 
gets revenge. Like those folk get their comeuppance. Um, but again, it's pretty graphic. But watching the dudes get fucked up was also kind of was gratifying. I mean, I was like, they deserve what they got. And it's to the point, it's graphic to the point where you watch her go through these things. And then when it takes you to what she does to them, you're okay with it because you know what she went through to get there. So you're just like, I'm not mad that she did that. I didn't know if I needed to see it. It is cringy. You will cringe. But again, if you've gone through an Eli Roth movie, if you like Hostel, then this might be in your alley. If not, it ain't for everybody. By any means. But on that note, that's it. That's everything. That's a podcast. That is a podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow this here podcast, share this here podcast. Again, you can hit us up on the social medias. Let us know if you've watched any of these things. Let us know what you think about any of these things. If there's any sleepers that anything that you think that we should watch, break down, talk about, let us know. Until next time, take care of yourselves and be good to each other. Hello, my name is... Sonia Sanchez, I'm going to read a poem called Catch the Fire. Sometimes I wonder what to say to you now in the soft afternoon air as you hold us all in a single death. I say, where is your fire? I say, where is your fire? You got to find it and pass it on. You got to find it and pass it on from you to me, from me to her, from her to him, from the son to the father, from the brother to the sister, from the daughter to the mother, from the mother to the child. I say, where is your fire? Can't you smell it coming out of our past? The fire of living, not dying. The fire of loving, not killing. The fire of blackness, not gangster shadows. Where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world? The fire of pyramids. The fire that burned through the holes of slave ships and made us breathe. The fire that made guts into chitlins. The fire that took rhythm and made jazz. The fire of sit-ins and marches that made us jump boundaries and barriers. The fire that took street talk and sounds and made righteous in Hope Tech raps. I say, where is your fire? The torch of life, full of Nzinga and Nat Turner and Garvey and Harriet Tubman and Ella Baker and Dorothy Height and Rosa Parks and Harry Belafonte and Chavez and Du Bois and Fannie Lou Hamer and Martin and Malcolm and Mandela. Sister, sister, brother, brother, come, come, catch your fire. Don't kill. Hold your fire. Don't kill. Learn your fire. Don't kill. Be the fire. Don't kill. Catch the fire and burn with eyes that see our souls walking, singing, building, laughing, learning, loving, teaching, being. Hey, 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 young brother, brother. Hey, hey, young sister, sister. Here is my hand. Catch, 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 catch the fire and Live, 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 live.